the Weezy Podcast. Let your iPod bloom. Welcome to Wiggly Podcast 124. I'm Heather from Wiggly Wigglers. And if you want to find out more about Wiggly Wigglers, go to www.wigglywigglers.co.uk. And I'm joined today by Richard. Uh, Richard, indeed, from Wiggly Wigglers. And also Farmer Phil. Say hello, Farmer Phil. Hello, Farmer Phil. (laughs) There we are. We've got a really great show coming up because we've got Rachel Harry's on our show this week and she is a genius student she's doing some m-a-b-a-c-a-d-a thing and she measured our carbon footprint was it the right question to ask we'll find out from farmer phil was it the right question to ask rich it was definitely the right question to ask yeah. we'll find out from farmer phil <laughs> um, <laughs> welcome to rachel harry's Hello. <laughs> Who's sitting on the weekly sofa and has got into the swing of things perfectly well by bringing chocolate. Well done, Rachel. Is it fair trade? Some of it is and some of it isn't. Have you considered the carbon footprint from that chocolate? I didn't buy it. Okay. <laughs> Cop out. Yes, Cop out. Yes, We've got Monty coming up with a farm cast I really enjoyed last week's about gelatine. Don't no, know if you did. I didn't hear it. Oh, there we are. <laughs> I'm on the radio tonight, so we'll hear a little bit about that. And... It's a packed show. In case you're not sure what Wiggly Wigglers is, what are we, Rich? Well, you know, I guess we're a lifestyle company now, with a natural gardening bent. Like country living? Oh, hello, hello. Umpteen different things to support people's propensities to be self-sufficient. I thought you were going to come out with another P then. Oh, yeah, well, you know, (laughs) I just think I'd squeeze another one in there, but hell no, self-sufficient is fine. (laughs) If you happen to be listening to this on Easter Monday, then tonight listen at 7 o'clock to Colin Murray on Five Live. Why? Well, because I'm on it. That should be good, shouldn't it? It'd be quite exciting, really. I'm looking forward to it. If you've come to this podcast because you've listened to Colin Murray, a special welcome. Never leave. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Never leave. Do you think that'll make them stay? Don't know. We shall see. What we got coming up? Do the introduction. Well, it's an interesting day, isn't it, today? Because some time ago, when Rachel Harries, who you've introduced earlier, was here uh, for a, a whole month... And she was able to do all the things that I'd kind of aspired to and never got round to. Rachel's doing an MA. What, work? Yeah, work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. An MA in, uh, <laughs> in, in sustainable development. It's a, a foundation course sponsored by Bulmers, essentially, isn't it? That's and, right, and, Bulmer uh, Foundation. Bulmer Foundation. It's a fantastic course. I think it's certainly one of its kind, and we're very lucky to have it on our doorstep. So we've got all these aspiring people coming in from all over the country to, to do this course. And Rachel was no exception to that. So anyway, I thought, what a great idea to have a student, have the right student to come along and look at our environmental impacts. Really have a, have a, have a critique of, of all our undertakings, really. And we're really lucky to have someone that was so able and that was so enthusiastic. But because we were inundated with that blessed catalogue for that whole month, Michael wasn't able to come over to do our podcast, we didn't have time, so on and so forth, so Rachel has kindly and enthusiastically decided to come back today. Did you have a good time? I loved it. 
Yeah, it was a great. It was, I think it's my best placement so far, definitely. Yeah. It was really good. I really enjoyed being here. And she's not lying because she's told me that outside of this room. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Under the influence of alcohol, so that was. Uh, <laughs> so that's fine. Why, Rachel? What was? What, what did you enjoy about it? What did I enjoy about it? It was really friendly, obviously. Everybody made me feel really, really welcome. And before I came here, I thought, well, how open is this business going to be in letting me see what their carbon footprint is and what they do and how they do things? You know, because I'm an outsider. I've never been here before. You don't know me. But everybody was really open and honest and willing to share things and just let me stick my nose into every part of the business. I think Richard described me as being a carbon detective before I came. And so that's what I did. I stuck my nose in everyone's business. And I think because of Rachel's disposition, she was able to get Jen from people who would, wouldn't acknowledge me, like Phil, for instance. <laughs> I was going to say, what are you trying to say, Rich? <laughs> but Farmer Phil's not convinced on this carbon footprint idea, are you, Farmer Phil? <laughs> not at all. No, I think that it throws up some very relevant arguments, but I think that the carbon cycle and our effect on it as humans is a very arguable point and the fact that the carbon cycle exists doesn't mean that humans are the sole cause of carbon dioxide going into the atmosphere it's I, a question it's, of it's, how it's, much it's, energy we use I, I, knew Phil, I knew Phil would take this approach I kind of hoped he would already as well <laughs> it's really <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's what I isn't believe it, isn't but it I, that he's I, worried about his cows purping oh, I could, something like that but I, when I read the introduction to Rachel's report about the fact that there is now a general sort of consensus that humans are having a, a major impact on CO2 emissions across the globe. Absolutely. 95% of the scientific community agree that humans are having a, an impact to the... No, 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 you've, you've misunderstood me, Rich. I wasn't arguing with that point at all. I would argue that humans have a huge impact on CO2 emissions across the world. What I disagree with is some of the solutions that we put forward and some of the excuses we make. Offsetting? Offsetting, mm. ridiculous. Absolutely, I agree. I mean, this is something we've touched on before as well, isn't it? We've talked about offsetting and, and what a bunch of bobbins it is. I mean, at the end of the day, there is only so much carbon in the world, and as, whether it's in the atmosphere or in the ground is a crucial discussion, really. Yeah. That if it's in the atmosphere, it's likely to cause global warming. Whether you agree with it or not, it's likely to. If it's in the ground then the likelihood of global warming is reduced. Mm. Over to Rachel. Is this right, Rachel? Are we right to be worried about offsetting? Because I see in your report many other companies are producing much more carbon than us and then offsetting it by giving away low-energy light bulbs. That's right. I mean, I had a really interesting conversation, actually. You really put me on the spot on my first day, Heather, when I came to Wiggly Wigglers under the impression that I was going to do a carbon footprinting. And on my first day, my first morning, Heather tells me that she thinks that carbon footprinting is a load of twaddle. And I happen to agree that there's absolutely no point in us working out what the carbon footprint is unless we're going to do something about it. And I don't think that offsetting is an alternative because you're not reducing the amount of carbon dioxide that people are emitting and you're not changing people's behaviour. It's an excuse. It's a cop-out, really. Yeah, and also... Isn't it a marketing advantage? Isn't that why people are doing it? Yes, because I think that, you know, some businesses and organisations, they can call themselves carbon neutral if they're offsetting because they're saying we're planting so many trees, which is... I think a waste of time anyway because tree takes 100 years to grow or whatever and you don't even know that it's going to still be there mm-hmm. after you've planted it. But yes, I think it's greenwash. Isn't the trend just at the minute that what we do is 
we find out a point in time what our actual footprint is Mm -hmm. and as long as we reduce it then that's absolutely fine whereas a lot of people probably aren't having that footprint in the first place and so there's not an issue so in other words I, I was just thinking about my own problem my own problem is that I really like flying around the world I really enjoy mm. travelling, mm. and that's a major issue. I wanted to ask, Heather, did you sl- fly to Brussels last week? No, I didn't. I Very went on good. Eurostar. And did you enjoy it? I loved Eurostar <laughs> because of the champagne bar at <laughs> St. Pancras. Did you, did you it really? was fantastic. Well, well done, well done. So you've achieved one thing, Rachel, <laughs> then it was to encourage Heather to, to do But that is, the, that is the benefit. I, I don't disagree with carbon footprinting in as much that you're sort of benchmarking where you are energy consumption wise and that is I think relevant because until you start to do that you have no idea whether you're good, bad or indifferent but nobody cares about the figure they just care about the the figure is just a figure in my view if as a farmer and to be fair to Rachel she didn't carbon footprint the farm she did what the farm does for Wigley's which is a bit different but if I can measure myself against other farmers and know whether I was gaining, or even measure myself against myself, so that if I measure myself today, and then change my management practices and measure myself in 12 months' time, it doesn't matter what the figure is, if it's better, then I've done better. What annoys me is what the government and the press, to some extent, portray as a solution to all these problems, which I don't think it's a solution. Until we use less energy, full stop, end of story, there will be no improvement. And it's the problem at the moment that things like offsetting are dubious scientifically and they favour those who can afford to offset, which I think is pointless. You know, that if you have pop stars jetting around the world just for the hell of it, that I consider to be not right if they just buy their way out of it. What benefit is that to anyone? The point is that we just have to use less energy, have our homes less warm, what we oh, use the energy for. I knew it would come right. down to that. I knew it would come down to that. We're sitting in here money. this morning, I purposely haven't turned the heating on and freezing. Uh, I knew it would come down to that. But it's but just it's, I mean, we talk about offsetting, but actually we, we don't want to completely dismiss the benefits of offsetting because it, it's something that we should do generally in life. You know, it's good to go out and plant trees and plant hedges and do these things create habitat and and of course there are benefits in terms of extracting co2 out of the air off the back of doing those things Brilliant, but we shouldn't Rich. be doing them Brilliant. just because of okay that. this is my argument and this is the point that i put to rachel on the first day if that's the case mm. and you're right mm-hmm. and we had the carbon offsetting chap here who said to us that what we could do to offset the wiggly carbon is to sponsor him to put into village halls all around Herefordshire and Shropshire wildlife gardens. And I said exactly this to Rachel, if that's the case, then how come our products aren't offsetting our carbon? When we supply a native hedge, why isn't that offsetting wiggly carbon so actually we're not neutral, we're better than neutral? And that's precisely my, my comment with farming, that farmers are not allowed to use their crops, which also sequestrate carbon as a means of offsetting their activities and that I believe is wrong. It's a purely political thing so that in terms of agriculture and carbon offsetting farmers cannot use the growth of their crops as a means of saying they sequestrate carbon and they do sequestrate carbon. Rachel? Yeah. 
I'm not going to talk about farmers because I don't know about the whole sort of policy environment and what farmers are allowed to offset. But I think that Heather does have a point in that things that people are buying from Wigglies are actually changing their behaviour in some way. So they are helping the environment, being more sustainable. You know, you're not producing so much methane and carbon dioxide from throwing your food to landfill as you are by putting it in a wormery. And that was really interesting to find out. But there is still the business of them having to be delivered and if you are, say, talking about planting trees in a hedge and you live in Scotland, then are you going to buy a tree or a hedge or a plant that's come all the way from Herefordshire and driven all the way up there? Or can you get it from somebody locally in Scotland so that it doesn't have to travel so far? Rep sales, there point. we are. That's a, yeah, that's, a, that's a good point. But it is, I mean, it's, it's definitely a case of looking at things in detail, really, and just considering the bigger picture. But th- this one thing interesting, going back to you, I just want to draw us back to this report. You're, you, you're mentioning about flying. I'm chuffed a bit that you went to Brussels on the Eurostar because you didn't tell me that prior to today. So that's fantastic. I have made a commitment as a company, which you'll see in the report. Yeah, no, because <laughs> I... On the, on the Wiggly, on the Rachel's done this great pie chart, the uh, Wiggly Wiggly's carbon footprint, right? And now uh, it's, it's kind of skewed because <laughs> someone has done so much travelling. And uh, in actual fact, Rachel's uh, detailed it here. Now, I know this is because uh, a lot of this is... Business travel contributes to nearly ten and a half tonnes of CO2 emissions, right? And that's this business travel. This is... Primarily flying, mm. and it's you flying, in fact, because in fact, no, don't touch that. The only <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm that those figures are correct. <laughs> Thank you for so pointing that's, uh, that. Ten and a half tons. That is equal mm. to the average person's annual carbon footprint in the UK. Yeah, uh, it's still five times greater than the average person's carbon footprint in China, for instance. I'm really so glad that you've brought that up, Richard. It's quite a massive. I'm so, very so pleased. So for me, it's an achievement. It's, you, I don't think you quite realise what an achievement it is for, for you having gone on to Eurostar because all the lady arguments that we've had about your flying and yeah, Rachel's turned up, she's done this. And R- thought, Richard, oh, yeah, of course, never goes in an airplane, can I, does he? Can I just No, but please. I do go on an airplane. But the, what we do is we're talking at the moment, we're putting this into, into perspective. Yeah. We're looking at the, the way that Wiggly uh, contributes to its... Uh, I'll I'll just pick up the piece of paper, dear listener, because the (laughs) thing that fascinates me about this report particularly well is the larger section in yellow. And so here we have the business travel in blue. But the larger section in yellow is employee commuting. Yeah. And what fascinates me about that is that the greenest member of the company who says he's the greenest, who's actually sat here... My green trousers. In green trousers <laughs> bought from TK it's incident- Maxx incidental. Yeah. Actually, lives the furthest away. Right. And so, employee commuting is actually sixteen tons of carbon. And I'd like you to know that I contribute nil to that because I have set up Wiggly Wigglers yeah. in my home. But you say you're an advantage, but you you shouldn't take your advantage, your domestic circumstances into play here. How dare you? No, no. How no, dare to, you? No, how, how, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> what's that, that program called? <laughs> how very dare you? How darn it dare you? <laughs> no, because, I've come, what's she called, that comedian? Catherine Tate. Catherine Tate. Yeah, you're you wasted. So, uh, <laughs> so, what I'm saying is, I have to drive here, don't I? An actual fact, if I didn't... I mean, what would, what would I do as an alternative? I would have to probably 
travel even further to get to my workplace. Oh, just a minute. Oh, contraire. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you possibly say that mm. I mustn't use my advantage when I have set up my business in my home? Yeah. That is a, that is a carbon positive thing to do. Yeah. And yet you're saying that you have to work here, therefore you have to drive. I don't have to work here. No, and you could work from but home. There's all sorts of ways around much that. Much further away. I wouldn't wouldn't necessarily want to. No, absolutely. It's not okay at all. Ricardo, (laughs) the the point is that you're both demonstrating the fact that work and life Mm. and the amount of carbon we produce is a balance. And it's always going to be a balance and it's going to be a compromise. And different people will put that compromise in different places. I'm much more interested in what percentage of our activities produces carbon that we can't possibly do anything about. For example, just by living and breathing, we as humans produce carbon in the form of carbon dioxide. You did send me a report, actually, or an article that said that if we actually held our breath for one minute Mm. every hour, then we produce a lot less carbon Mm. dioxide. I'm not sure about the science Mm. behind the theory, but it demonstrated (laughs) the point that... can that be (laughs) (laughs) and I think it was advocating less exercise because it makes you breathe more it it was quite a flippant report but my my point is this that we get all these things all wuzzled up together so for example we're told that a highish percentage of the carbon produced is in generating electricity for us to live with and I don't know the answer to this but in comparison with that how much carbon do we just by breathing produce compared to that we're told that cattle produce methane at god knows how much tons a day and it's an absolute disaster but is that the case when compared to how much humans produce or any other life forms produce there is the argument though isn't that i've heard that cows are actually producing more methane now because of the type of diet that they have and i and the food i completely agree used. with you because I, and i haven't got any evidence to back it up but roughly speaking I think that the worse the cow muck smells, the likelihood is the more methane they're producing. And therefore, on our cattle, which get essentially a drier diet, so no silage, they don't seem to smell as bad as dairy cows being fed silage. That's just an observation on my part. And I think there is scope to modify those figures. But it just seems to me that different people go after the easy things to get at. So air travel is quite obviously a significant producer of carbon dioxide per person. But in terms of per mile travelled, I'm told that it's pretty efficient compared to cars and and other means of getting around. And all I'm saying is as a percentage of the total problem, it's fairly minimal. There are much bigger chunks we could get at quite easily. And it's it's all about finding the balance. I come back Mm -hmm. to Heather and Richard arguing about who's going it's on still holiday. It's still our secret. Yeah. I mean, whispering. This is the thing. Is, I mean, the thing is not to concentrate on a minutiae, really, for the, for the easy way out. Yeah. We've opened a whole new can of worms here. Let's <laughs> take a break and have Monty's Farmcast. When we come back, we'll hear a bit more nitty-gritty detail instead of you going all cross on me. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I think the other way around. How dare you! <laughs> you going across. Montycast, a weekly fact on farming. Although a cow has no upper front teeth, it grazes up to eight hours a day. Another Montycast, a weekly fact on farming, next week. Thanks, Monty. 
Now, we're going to hear about our flagship product, Can of Worms, which actually comes, wiggles its way through China on the high seas. Once, actually, a container fell off in the sea, and we never saw them again. And I always imagine one day divers dive into the bottom of the ocean and seeing this strange cargo of Can of Worms with coir blocks completely expanded within them and thinking... What the heck is that? Anyway, we're going to hear what the carbon footprint of that product is and what it means. And at the same time as that, I'm thinking to myself, how can New Zealand possibly say that the carbon footprint of their lamb is less than if I buy a leg of lamb from a Welsh farmer just up the road? How can that possibly be? But they you read that. do. Did you read that in the Times? Yep. There's a great feature in the Times, isn't there? Actually. Do you believe it? Not in this situation. I mean, lambs grown in local fields in Herefordshire are, are going to have um, a, a carbon footprint s- similar to, uh, to something shipped all over New Zealand. But there are lambs possibly that are uh, farmed more intensively that, yes, quite possibly they might. But that is misleading, isn't it? That is, yes. Yeah, but surely yeah. it's unlikely to be less, isn't it? Isn't what they're saying that they can bring it to the port in this country for a very modest carbon footprint and yeah. then from the port to wherever it gets eaten is a much more serious Absolutely. carbon Absolutely, it's all down to how they're kept and what they're fed, really. I but, I mean, the, the, the way they rear New Zealand lamb would be similar to the Welsh mountains. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. there's no, no difference there. The New Zealanders use just as much fertiliser as British farmers do. There's no issues there. Well, we'll invite a New Zealand farmer on. Andy, if you're listening, give us a call. Over to Rachel. Rachel, tell us all about the can of worms. When I came to Wiggly Wigglers, I didn't realise that the can of worms came from Australia, and that gave me a little bit of a shock. So I thought I'd have a look and see what the implications of that were. And then when I started looking at it, I realised, well, how do you actually work out the carbon footprint of a container ship? And I wasn't able to work it out. But luckily, the company who shipped them able to work it out for me and I got a lovely picture of this huge great big container ship with thousands of containers on it which I put in my report and they were able to give me exact figures on how much carbon each container produces in terms of its journey from Sydney Australia to Southampton and what we found out was that that actually worked out at 7.23 kilos per wormery that we bring over from Australia Mm. and so I did a little bit of calculating on that and found out that that is the equivalent to one diesel car doing 28 miles so Mm. that's the difference between shipping a worm away from Australia and driving your car to work Mm. and back you know obviously the the can of worms then goes off to somebody's home and they put their kitchen waste in the wormery which then takes that out of the waste stream it reduces the volume of waste and produces compost, essentially. So wouldn't that, in the Heather theory of life, offset any issue that the can of worms had caused in terms of carbon? Well, we worked out as well, we looked at how much one can of worms could compost in a year, and I think we came up with a figure of about 156 kilos going up optimum speed if your worms are happy i don't think mine are eating that much yet but never mind maybe they will and so we worked out that by putting your waste into a wormery that you were saving 77 kilos of carbon dioxide a year wow that's quite impressive isn't it and 3.6 kilos of methane as well which is one of the worst greenhouse gases it is what you're suggesting is that within a few months Mm. your can of worms will have more than 
covered the cost <coughs> in carbon of its existence or its travel at any yeah. rate. Yes, that's what yeah. I'm saying. But one of the things that I found out when I was looking at this that I didn't realise before is about the shipping industry as a whole and the type of fuel that it uses. And I came across some statistics that said that there are actually twice as many emissions from shipping, global, from the global shipping industry, than there is from aviation. Yeah. And that, that's so because they use a very unrefined fuel compared so to aviation play, spirit, which is very highly refined. Exactly. They use something called bunker oil, which is cruder and dirtier and contains more sulphur and nitrogen and really is just quite a horrible fuel. That's even worse than cheap. that stuff those buses go on, Rich. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, yeah. Private joke. Although you'll be in it if you've listened to Wiggly Podcast number, oh, I don't know, 81, something like that. <laughs> Go back and listen to number 81, mm-hmm. listener, and you'll see whether you can find out about buses and Farmer Phil. <laughs> Would you like just to read out the Friends of the Earth piece, Rachel, before we leave for this week and ask you... Could you return next week to the weekly sofa? Because there's so much to talk about. We haven't fitted it in. Okay, I'd love to, Heather. And I'll just, I'll just leave you with this quote from Friends of the Earth. Home composting is at the top of the waste hierarchy because it avoids the transport emissions associated with collecting this waste from households and uses the waste where it's generated, i.e. in your own gardens. Thank you very much. Fantastic. We will speak to you, dear listener. Next week, if you've got any comments, please email them in. We've already had somebody who says that uh, we shouldn't be promoting eating meat because uh, it's much more important that people eat only vegetables, fruit, nuts, beans and seeds. And we should be promoting composting, biodiversity and gardening and sticking to that. Well, there's no hope of that happening, is there, Rich? No. Farmer Phil? No hope at all. Rachel, your views on this? I don't eat meat. Oh! At the moment. Ah! Thank you very much. We'll speak to you, listener, next week. Thank you for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this show, go to iTunes and subscribe. Please just put in Wiggly Wigglers or Wiggly Podcast. Press subscribe. And somehow, each and every week, we will occur on your computer. And then if you plug that little iPod in, you can take us on your bike or to your bath or on your commute. Anyway, we'll speak to you next week. Bye. Bye from me. Bye from me. And it's bye from me. iTunes and press subscribe and somehow automatically each and every week we will look (laughs) 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 how are we going to do that? I think I've chewed the tape up (laughs)